What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Lopriori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I am your host, Danny Lopriori, and today I am joined by a Colombian-American artist, fashion designer, podcaster, and activist, Mr. Ruben Rojas. Ruben, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I see Colombian-American artist, right? Both of my parents were born in Colombia. I'm first generation, born here in LA, but it's just if people want to distinguish, not Mexican-American, Colombian-American, whatever. I'm an American, but I'm Colombian. So for you, growing up you know, with two immigrant parents, what was their motivation for you to be successful as being a first-generation American? I would say making sure we were in school, we were in a private school, get the good grades. You get good grades, we'll reward you with stuff like our first car. You know, stay out of trouble. I was a three-sport athlete, so it was dual in sports for me that kind of kept me. I mean, I got into my own fair share of trouble, but still, that's what kept me on the straight and narrow because I like to win. So I wasn't going to do things that were going to keep me from winning as an athlete as well. You're doing like the kind of, you know, the school and the sports and stuff. It's kind of not the trajectory that an artist goes into, right? When you look back and hear, oh, I played three sports. I was great in school. Yeah, but I played three sports. You automatically don't link. I feel like there's a stigma with athletes that they can't be artistic. Was that something when you were young that you kind of always held in the back of your mind that you loved art or was it something that you were expressive about? I was always an artist. So I was the guy who had doodles all over my notes, right? Here's my notes. A squared plus B squared equals C squared and like characters and boom boxes and graffiti and tagging like everywhere. My mom put us in a lot of art classes to also sports and art classes. The difference was growing up at that time, there was no creator economy. There wasn't what we have now. We're like, oh, there is this other opportunity. It's easier. It's not easy being an artist, but it's easier to be an artist because you can reach more people, right? For sure. The other difference was like, you know, go be a doctor, go be a banker. I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. That was my path. That was all of my schooling. Obviously, my life went all over the place and here we are doing what I was supposed to do, which was create art. Honestly, we got to listen to it. We were given certain gifts. We're given these gifts to show up in life and share them with people. And if you're repressing them and keeping them at bay, you can go down these paths of I'm depressed and I'm unworthy and have all these other conversations, which is probably what triggered a lot of that stuff that led me back to being what I was supposed to be. So you're on path to be an orthopedic surgeon, but you ended up being a financial advisor, right? Yeah. So before I went to med school, a buddy said, hey, come try out real estate. So I actually did real estate before finance. And I started balling out just under 20 grand my first month. I'm like, okay, take up money or half a million dollars of debt, you know, stressed out, bald, overweight, unhealthy, and trying to create this medical practice or keep balling out. So I chose money. And, you know, in your early 20s and in this country, 
first generation immigrant, all these things. You're measured by success by what you have, right? What you can show off, what you can buy, what you can wear, what you can put on your wrist. It is what it is. And as a man, we're also judged by that. You know, we're judged by the cover. What are we wearing? What are we putting on? Can we provide? Can we keep a woman safe? Can we provide for a family? You know, all these things. So I fell into that trap. And I'm not saying money is a bad thing. We all like money. We all need money. What I'm saying and what I learned is that what I do in life shouldn't be measured by money only. So that real estate, I went bankrupt. I went broke. Had to refigure myself out. Went into finance, five years into finance, succeeding again, doing well. I'm like, oh, shit. I'm in the same Money is the metric. Money is the measure. Money is the everything. And I'm just, I can't do this. I can't do this for the rest of my life. I'm just miserable. I need to be provide more purpose and more value. Even though, you know, selling someone insurance and disability and doing the retirement planning and all that very important stuff. It's a very good business. It's great for people that want to do it. And you need it because one day we are going to get old. And if we're not taking care of us, that's a whole other ball game. Like, who are you going to put true. that on? But I just didn't want to be measured by that again. To me, money's a happy byproduct, right? It's a byproduct. It's not the measuring stick. So just, let me guess. I did real estate too. So you got that like 20000 the first month. What'd you buy first? Ooh, what did I buy first? I bought a lot of things. I had like every shoe under the sun. I was a sneakerhead before sneaker culture is what it is now. I had a diamond encrusted watch. I had big ass rims on my Denali. At some point, I bought a boat. And my Denali was very good. This is how ridiculous this is. My de- <laughs> At some my- point, I bought a boat. Is one of the best boats I think we've ever had on the show. <laughs> it was a Malibu wake setter. Sick. Blue, black, white. 16 speakers for wakeboarding on the lake. But I had a burgundy Denali. And I'm like, yo, that doesn't match the boat. How am I going to pull the boat that's blue, black, and white with a red Denali? So I sell that car and I get a... the. 07 Escalade in 06, I get it before it's like out and it's black on black, 26 inch rims. And now I'm pulling the boat in style. It's ridiculous, but it's ridiculous. But like you kind of have to think of it as like it's a learning experience that you had, though. Right. It's one of those things where I feel like every once in a while, once we start to get a little bit of money, everyone kind of has like a, for lack of a better word, douche phase where (laughs) you know what I mean? Because if you think about it, your first generation and then saying your Denali doesn't match your boat is like first world problems, like t- magnified by a thousand. You know what I mean? That, that also just shows like how shallow I was back then where, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a, I've always been a car guy. Like I love nice cars. I, I was raised in nice cars. My parents had Beamers and Benzes. So it's part of us. But at the same time, I used it to validate my success and everything. Now, like the dream, I want a Lamborghini Urus, but yeah. I don't want it to flex on you the way I would have in my 20s. Like, yo, I have this Escalade. I'm kind of flexing a little bit. So like, what did your parents do? They were both basically self-employed. My mom was a financial advisor for Northwestern Mutual, which kind of led me why I kind of went down that path at some point it was one of the uh, reasons. Okay. My dad built computers like he could have been Dell, but instead he stayed small and just built computers for people here and there. But from scratch, he would build them completely from scratch. The shell, the motherboard, the, the whole shebang. Did your dad play sports? No. You were like the coming of age in your family with that too then? Mm-hmm. 
did they like even understand like what was kind of like going on? Like while you're playing three sports, were they at your games? Were they big fans of yours? Or are they just like, this is something that Ruben just kind of does. Well, my mom, again, geared us toward putting us into everything. And I think to just keep us out of trouble, Hey, sports as a kid, it was soccer, basketball, baseball, and track and you name it in school. When I got to pick, I had to convince her to play football, though. I wasn't allowed to play football. I had to be convinced. And it wasn't that. My Spanish teacher also convinced her and said, you should let him play. Like, because I was 185 pounds in, in school. So I was pretty big. I wasn't yeah, that That's huge. a big boy for high school, middle school. Yeah, it's a big guy. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, hey, let him play. So she let me play. And, and we did pretty well and played a couple years of college. And then in between that, it was soccer. And then in the spring, summer, it was track. What, so what was your kind of how? Football. I'm a football guy. Yeah, me too. I got recruited to play uh, D2 and uh, a lot of uh, white D1, which is Division Three uh, football. I got a lot of those too. Now, if I would have gone to Azusa Pacific mm. when I graduated, I'd be on four championships. They won four championships back to back to back to back. So Damn. it's like, oh, but anyway, I played at College <laughs> of the Canyon. It was like a D1 JC couple guys went to the league from there and then from there i got some other d2 d3 the thing with the d3 of the privates they all recruit you so hard and show you the world but there's really no scholarships and no money you still have to go pay to play i remember when i went to a coach's meeting so they came to the high school make me feel cool i get called out of class i get to go to these interviews right and i'm going to these interviews so i was just like oh so like what's up with the scholarships and they were like yeah we don't do that i was like you guys know my dad can't afford all this stuff so I went to junior college to get better grades to, to get the scholarships that they were like offering. They were basically like, we have these scholarships for you. You have to go and get these grades and then we'll see what we could do. I didn't yeah. do well enough at junior college. So uh, after that, my football career was over. But do you ever look back and I kind of wish that you stayed with sports or was it something that like uh, you don't really live with regrets of like past shit? I knew my limitations. You know, I'm I'm six foot on a good day. When I played, I got up to 245 pounds. Oh, big dog. And I was really fast. So it's like I was strong, fast, and that. But was I ever going to go pro? No, I didn't have those delusions in my head. I I do say now, though, I've gone pro because I've got partnerships with the NFL. So now I've made it to the league. I've always just been an athlete. I just love competing. I love being athletic. I'm still in shape. I train every single day like an athlete. I could still run a sub-six-minute mile. So. There you go. Guys living the savage life. Now, you talk about being a competitor. We're talking about sports. Art, though, equally as a competitive, if not more, because there's more artists in the world, probably, than professional athletes, I would have to say, if I had to make a guess. How much of like that kind of energy do you live with when you are in the art field? Is there a competitive aspect to it? Is there artists that, I'm not saying that you want to be like them or be better than them, but is it something, you know, inspiration-wise that keeps you committed to actually being an artist? Because I feel like a lot of artists, we get committed to some things and then we kind of lose that commitment once we hit a certain pinnacle of where we want to be or a, a level of comfort. But how is the competitive aspect of art? I think where artists get it wrong is when they're trying to compete compete against each other because like only i can do this the way i'm doing it and deliver it the way i'm doing it and put it out in the world the way i'm doing it sure i have a ton of copycats now that do love and similar things that have come after the fact it's just not executed the same and at the end of the day 
I need to just be focused on where I'm going, what I'm doing, what my vision is. Does it bother me sometimes? Yes. When it's too, too similar, you know, we can go do things. I have everything copyrighted. I got trademarks. I've got attorneys. You know, there's a point where you continue moving things forward. You've got to protect yourself because people are going to steal it. And it's just, how do you reinvent? How do you keep moving it? How do you keep pushing it, evolving it? And I think the difference with me also, like my art and my message is I've got this whole mission behind it, right? I'm trying to like have my art inspire you to choose love and then go do whatever that makes you do out in the world and be a better person. Where sometimes, you know, we'll paint up art and it's just completely for us. Mm. And it's like, hey, come paint my, you know, get this just because I can't compare what I'm doing to anybody else because I don't think anyone has the wrapper on it the way I have, right? Like I say, I'm creating a culture of love and I do it with murals and and the street art and sculptures and the clothing and the podcast and the poems and, and all the things that are coming out. What's your definition of love? Oh, well, I'll tell you the definition of love according to the, the dictionary. It's a feeling of affection, right? It's like, come on, what's the definition of love? Love is undefinable. Love is anything you need it to be. It's an active state. You've got to choose it. It's a verb. It's not rom-coms. It's not Valentine's Day. It's so misappropriated. And it's okay to say, I love these shoes and I love this coffee and I love this cup. But that's just a way of using it to throw it around. Like, Look at the Greeks. They have six, seven different ways of defining love. Eros, agape, philia, philia. Yeah. So, you know, Kobe, and I gave a keynote on this the other day. Kobe talks about it's just a beautiful journey. It's got its ups. It's got its downs. You got to choose it. It's going to help you move forward. You got to lean into it. Like everyone defines it the way they define it when you really start unpacking it. So I think once you get past the point of like, oh, he put love on a wall. Because, you know, sometimes the trolls or the haters are like, oh, you're going to change the world because you're painting love everywhere. I'm like, yeah, I am. Yes. Why not? Like you leaving that comment already. Just think about it. So, I mean, you got to be pretty sad to hate on love. That's a rough one. I pray for those people. Yeah, I do say, I, you know, what? I don't like people like, oh, you're the love guy. I'm like, what does that mean? I'm like, am I hitch? Am yeah, I right. hooking you up with your partner? Like, you know, what's the love guy? So for the people that are listening. How would you define mission-based art? Well, here's the thing. I think all art is mission-based, right? It's just how clear are you in what you're trying to do? Art is very subjective. So I could paint this right here, right? This one's called humanity. And I know why I painted it and what it means. But to you, it could mean something else. It's just like, oh, cool. Hands holding. Awesome. Unity. You know, if you really look at it, one arm's black and one arm's white. And then the loves are on top. It's a subtle nod to racism is like, it doesn't matter what our skin tone is. We all feel love, bleed, all these things. You know, I have this skull over here. Take it all away. Like, that's what love is. We are all love. And I think we get caught up in in all these things. So mission-based, it's more like to be in service to the world. That's what mission-based is to me. But every piece of art has an agenda has a mission, but again, it's subjective. So it's whatever you want it to be. But like, even for you, do you have days where obviously, you know, we all have days at our jobs where we don't want to do it. Did this come from an area of you not loving yourself or just not loving what you were doing? Or was this you kind of being more of an observer of the world being like, just the world needs more love in it. And this is what I want to do. I want to insert as much of my artistic expression into a world that's, we could all use more love. The answer is D, all of the above. It was all of that. My parents 
didn't teach me to love myself. I don't know if anyone knows that that's a lesson or not. And again, now times are different. This is generationally different, right? I'm raising a completely different child than the child they raised. For sure. And my brother and I are different. Like he's not an artist. He's a fireman. So like he's completely different people. I've always been the self-employed entrepreneurial. He's not that guy. And we came from the same parents. So I say, you know how I'm going to teach my son to love himself? By showing him how I love myself. The first mural and most of these murals are just me talking to myself. That first one said, who will you be? And then I put all these ways of being because I wasn't feeling those ways. It's like, I'm going to choose responsibility and to be worthy and to be a leader instead of feeling like a victim and depressed and life's happening to for me or to me, you know, that whole, oh, this is just happening to us. Like the pandemic, you could be a victim to the pandemic or you could not be. It happened to all of us. Yeah, did. How did we choose to experience it, right? Yes, it hit some people way harder than others. You know, my wife lost her entire business. She did marketing for restaurants. Well, we yeah. couldn't go to restaurants. I did murals. And so like what I sell to the world is kind of like you need to have some cash to be able to do that, right? You have to put food on the table and let me just go buy a painting. It affects everyone. But at the end of the day, it's how do we keep showing up and evolve? I like the way you ended that right there. It's how we show up. Showing up is sometimes the hardest thing to do in our minds. You know what I mean? Showing up is the thing like we're most afraid of in a lot of situations in life is showing up, whether it's at work, whether it's going to a party, whether it's going to a family gathering, whether it's just going outside. The showing up part is the thing I think we fear the most as people. I'm a firm believer that it, it's hard to love other people when you don't uh, know how to love yourself. It becomes very difficult because I used to find myself in situations where People pleasing. That was my thing to be a people pleaser and make sure like, oh, these other people love me. But then I go home and I'm like, I go to bed and I'm like, I don't like this fucking guy. This guy sucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, those internal conversations that you have with yourself. I always ask authors on this show, is it hard to write a book? I like to ask that very vaguely because I always feel that some people just write books to write books. For you as an author, is it hard to write a book? Was that the hardest thing for you to do expression-wise in terms of how to actually put your art, instead of showing your art and being like, now I have to transform it into words and kind of express who I am and not leave it up to interpretation? Best way I can answer that is like, because I'm still writing a book. Right. But like I have that poetry book and it's a self-love journal. And what happened is what I'm really looking at is I keep writing all these poems. I keep writing all the, I mean, there's, Half the reels I post on my Instagram are huge less. Like, I'm like, yeah, no one's going to read this, but I'm writing it. And later I can go and pull all this and then there's going to be stuff. So I think it's realizing that we're already creating all the things. It's how do we start organizing it? Right. So in my head is like, wow, how am I going to start a book? From What's it going to look like? Where do I like born diapers, first movie? Like, where do I go? Like, how far back do I go to this? And then I had this idea of like, what if I put all my poems together in like a journal that people could kind of walk through and boom, there's a book, there's a book, there it is. So I think always starting is the hardest thing. Like whenever I have a, I have a huge wall coming up, right. And you're just like, well, wow, 350 feet long, Jeez. 12 feet tall. This is going to take a minute. Like that's the hard part. Is that going to be the biggest uh, piece you've ever done? No, I have a 10-story mural in Oakland. God. 
damn, son. How the fuck do you do that? I would shit my pants. How the hell do you do a 10-story mural? How long did that take? Three and a half days. Dude, I can't even clean my room in three and a half days. That's crazy. Good for you. That is something. Yeah, that, that is like a, a feat in many things. Fear of heights. Artistic expression. Three and a half days. Oh, my God, man. I always say the best thing about these shows are I just get to meet people that just do amazing shit. Good for you. So a freeway runs right by it. So like millions of people drive by this every single day. And I was terrified. I'm, I said yes to the project. And then I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to execute this because I've never done something. This three stories was the biggest at that time, which is on a boom lift. This needed like a swing stage. I just can't imagine being that high in the air and being like, all right, I'm going to express myself up here. I'm going to shit myself up here, dude. I can't fucking do that. I was leaning into the wall and because it's a swing stage, it just starts. I'm like, oh, I can't lean into the wall because usually you kind of lean in, help. Yeah. It's like, and you're looking straight down. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> nah, I don't want to test this harness out if I fall and see what happens. Now that you've done 10 stories, would you go bigger? If it's possible, yeah. Good for you. How do you get something like that? The building just goes through like a commission of artists. Do you have presentations that you have to give the building or just somebody, you know, is it different? I don't know how that kind of commission of art works. It's all different. This was like the business commissioned it. And so like, it could be the building, it could be the city, it could be a brand. It could be, there's a million ways to skin the cat. The title, Live Through Love. Mm-hmm. Where'd it come from? We were just thinking about it and like, do we need a slogan? Like, what is this thing? And, you know, Nike just do it. So it's like, what can we do? Painting love. What's the through line here? How do we make it simple? Live through it. Live through love. Live through love. And we kind of Googled it and it wasn't anything. So, and one day when Nike calls and we have our official collaboration, they're going to say, just do it like Ruben and live through love. That's the campaign. I put it out there. I say it everywhere I can. You have to. You big fan of manifestation? Yes. Here's the thing. I just say stuff all the time. And I know that that's what it is, but I'm, I don't sit here like in the corner saying, I'm going to manifest right now. Right, right. And I know that's what it is. And I'm just doing it my way. Like, I don't really vision board. And I know I'm manifest because I'm like, hey, I want to do this. Like I said, hey, I'm going to do a TED talk. 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 And ring, ring. Hey, do you want to do a TED talk? The first time I did one and I'm like, oh, shit. I said I wanted to do this. I can't back out now. And I was terrified to say yes. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Are you good with public speaking? They say I am. <laughs> <laughs> I just gave a closing keynote speech a couple of weeks ago in San Antonio. So I have a speaking you. agent now. I Listen, let me tell you something. I'm a stand-up comic. You know what I mean? So a, a lot of people have to understand that. Take some gutsies to get up there and start talking to people <laughs> that you've never met before and have actually have a message that they're actually going to identify with. Like I said, the hardest part is showing up. So showing up there and, and doing a keynote and doing that, that's all great. But being able to have something that actually resonates with an audience is like it's otherworldly to be able to do something like that. I hope you're proud of your accomplishments. You know what I mean? Because you're a competitive guy. A lot of people that I know that are extremely competitive, it's always, what's next? All right, what's next for me? What's the next thing I have to do? That's a competitive guy thing. It's like, all right, like, listen, all right, what's next? All right, what can we do next? I want to do the next. Especially in the entrepreneurial field, 
you take a day off, that's a, a day where you hemorrhage money. That's just kind of what it is when you're an entrepreneur. You take a day off, you're basically saying, I'm not going to make any money today. That's basically what it is. For you though, do you stop and smell the roses? Like when you drive by one of your murals, do you take the time to just be like, that's fucking dope. I did that. And now I'm going to channel that energy. And I'm going to sit here though for a moment and actually admire the fruits of my labor. I don't do it enough. I get to be better at that. It is that what's next, what's next. I, I always say that, but it's like, I'm committed to this vision. And like, how can we keep going there? It's not how fast I can get there. It's like every step forward is closer and closer. But yeah, there's times I go out of my way sometimes and be like, oh yeah, I painted one over there. Let me go drive by it. I love seeing them age and fade and see what's happening over time. It's my name right there. It's a huge responsibility. I don't take it for granted. I never did. I'm, the first mural I painted, you know, I painted whatever the hell I wanted to paint, but still the after effects is like, oh, that's why I got to keep doing this. It's the impact. It's how people took it in. You know, that first mural, I was up there. It was almost midnight in January. It's freezing. I was still in finance, you know, those first few years. So, and I lived in Woodland Hills and this mural was in Santa Monica. So that's like a 45 minute drive. Yeah. So I was committed to painting this after work, yada, yada. And this guy walks by and I'm sitting there like, okay, it's midnight. What the hell does this guy want? And if you know, like, there's a lot of homeless people around here. So, I'm like, am I, For sure. am I gonna have to brawl right now? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, what's happening here? Is he just wants a combo? Is he just gonna ask for a dollar? So then I look at him and then he's like, yo, you know, that's cool. Oh, nice work. I'm like, oh, I didn't really expect that. Again, my first mural, first public interaction. But then he lingered and I'm like, dude, I got to get back to work. I got to be up in like three hours and get to, you know, I'm like, I have so many hours to finish this thing. And I'm just like, I can't turn my back to him. No. And then he finally starts speaking up. And what he said was just like, you know, if, if I would have only seen a mural like this, all those years ago, I would have probably not left my family and I wouldn't be an alcoholic living on the streets and I would have made choices that would have been different. And I'm just like, whoa. And that's me asking a question to myself on a mirror with all those words to me. But since we're all mirrors of each other, that's the thing. It's just realizing like we're all going through stuff. I had a girl talk about her rape experience and she said, you know, I am not a victim and I'm not defined by my rape and I am worthy of love. And then I had people. Talk, just all these expressions now that the, how they're taking in the artwork. So every time I get assigned my name up huge, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And I drive by them all the time. And I'm like, that's cool. For you, as people you know, in the entrepreneurial field, and I do stand-up, you do art, you do many other things, but you know, the, it's keeping it uh, at the art and podcasting, we both do that. How much do you correlate your art with your mental health? Like uh, if there's like a couple of days where like you're actually not in the process of doing an art piece, can you tell in your mind that you kind of need to get back to that just to kind of reach like your center and be like, find your chi for lack of a better word. We all have our bad days, right? We all have our fuck off days or depressed days or like I, this whole week has been pretty rough for me. Like I don't want to do much and like we're still doing so much. I think oh, yeah. we get to get better at being still and not worrying about things and, and taking a few days off. But uh, yeah, sometimes I'm too buried in the business. I'm like, I haven't even made art. I need to just go make something. But I'm running out of storage space, so I can't keep making paintings. You know, we, 
Well, that's the hardest thing when you, when you, when you get to a level where you can monetize like your passion, right? So like when you monetize your passion, the business part of it, you know, kind of takes away from the levity and the fun of it because business is, we all, like you said, not everything's about money, but we all enjoy money. What am I more of it? You know what I mean? That's just, that's just me. Some people are comfortable. I would love to be more comfortable. So when you're monetizing and doing all these things to kind of, you know, like you said, a different step every day. You want to just kind of get another step closer. It doesn't matter how long you get there. I feel like that's the hardest thing is when you start to monetize your passion, it becomes a push and a pull a little bit on the brain, for me at least. It's a balancing act because, I mean, this is how I sustain my family, right? Oh, yeah, this me too. We pay the bills. When you're starting out, I mean, how many free shows have you done? How many free murals have I painted? I can't just take off somewhere for a week and a half for a non-paid gig because then I'm leaving my two-year-old. Like, I'm going to miss that window. Like, so I have to do things for money. And I'll do something locally. Like, hey, it's down the street. Yeah, let me hit it up. But uh, I also look at it as marketing and investment and putting more out there. And so it's like a balancing act. But you have to be able to balance it amongst everything. Because at the end of the day... I have this vision that I'm trying to be committed to and I have to grow it and I've reinvested into the business. And if you look at it as the devil, yeah, it could be the devil, but I think it's part of growth. It's part of the next level. Do you love the business? I'm a business guy. I've always been a business guy. So I, th- I think that also helps me. So it's, sure. it's fine because you're like, oh, athlete, artist, that doesn't look right. Businessman, artist, that doesn't look right. It's like, For sure. these are all tools that, make me better at what I'm doing. Some people would say like, no, that keeps you from X, Y, or Z. I'm like, why? Or it's like, why does the artist have to be the drug addict in the corner cutting himself and suicidal? Like people's constraints or constructs or limiting beliefs or whatever it is. Or I hate when people say struggling artists or they're like, oh, so you're not a struggling artist. I'm like, I mean, define not struggling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm struggling. Yeah, like, why are we even saying this? What does that mean? My favorite is you get paid for that. You make money doing that. You do that full time. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, all right. Well, I'm like, they talk to you like you have leprosy or something. What was it like working with inmates and especially working with them on like murals about forgiveness? I love when people do shit like this. I don't cry a lot, but when I see people like go and talk to people in prisons and help them and show that they're human beings still, for some reason, it always connects with me. It's always something that I'm very interested in. What was that experience like? And was that something that you've always wanted to do? Or was it something that you said, I want to talk to these people about just not only love, but forgiveness as well? Yeah. So that was special. The way it started out was my neighbor, who I didn't really know. He just lived in my building and then he went to my gym and then we kind of didn't know each other and eventually became friends and like, oh, we live in the same building. And mind you, we only have 14 units where I live. So it's not like yes, this yes. huge building. <laughs> He's like, hey, I do this thing at this prison. Like, would you like to come, you know, just talk to them and hang out? Like, we'd like to bring people to just do cool stuff and just talk to them. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, why not? Like, Let's do it. That's kind of how it started. And then there was a lot of red tape, background checks, you name it. For sure. It comes to the day. And again, mind you, I didn't really know my neighbor and it's out in Lancaster. So then we sit in the car for almost two hours driving out there. And I'm like, what's up, dude? (laughs) So we kind of get to know each other also. And we get there. And 
the question to me, a lot of it came into this and the lessons are after the fact, but that could be any of us, right? And ultimately we got to remember like any of us could be whoever you're looking down upon or up upon or sideways on or like just realize like that could be me. I could have made one different choice. So we get there, we tour the thing, we go through the art. I also wanted to see like, what is it like behind bars? Like I'm also curious in the capacity. And then I wanted to see, is it like what they show us on TV? Is it like the stories people tell you? Is it mayor of Kingstown? Like what is it? We toured it, finally went to their cell block. They were set up in chairs. I'm sitting on the table and we start talking back and forth. At that point, they already told them who I was. They Googled me. They knew who I was. And this was 2017. I don't have as much work or presence as I do now. So they still thought like I was the coolest thing ever. So I I felt kind of special. And we're just talking. They're asking me questions. And they just said, hey, you can ask us questions. Like, let us know. Like, are you curious? So I start going in. I want to like, what got you here? And mind you, every single guy that I hung out with, they all murdered someone. They all took a life. That was their crime. And I'm like, can a human come back? from that and not only like do the work to forgive themselves but it's also like you're just a, a stain on society now right you're always going to be well for whatever it is if you were in there for drunk driving or white collar crime or sexual assault or murder or like bank robbery doesn't matter you're a criminal right so you're always going to have this jaded thing around you the combos is like these guys were most of them were wrong place wrong time right one guy was actually just arrested for being black. I didn't unpack it that much. And everyone's like, yeah, actually, he was like just so he was more of an yeah, accomplice. Like, we something checked, happened. We checked his paperwork. It, it it checks out. Yeah. Yeah. But also back then they didn't have the forensics that they have now and the cameras they have now. Just don't be a criminal nowadays, I guess, because you're going to get caught. Right. <laughs> but but anyway, so we go in there and they're telling me one was a jealous boyfriend, like the, the wife was cheating on him her and him with someone else. So that led to that. Other people were like liquor store robbery gone bad or drive-bys or gangs. So like all the reasons people do the things, but I was starting to realize is like, why are they all calm? They're not like that gangbanger that I knew down the street when I was growing up in school. Right. Right. When I was a parent, like that felt like evil. These guys felt like you've done some work. And I was curious, like what got you to this point? And after everything, we ended up on talking about forgiveness. And I was like, well, where are we going with this? And I was just talking about, you know, I dated a girl that didn't love herself. It didn't matter what pedestal I put her on. She wasn't going to receive it. She was a 12 on a scale of one to 10. Like she was hot, hot. Like guys bought me drinks because of how hot (laughs) she was, right? That I didn't care about any of that other than the fact that like, why don't you love yourself? And I started asking these questions. Okay, so if we're not loving ourselves, can we actually receive love? Then we ended up talking about forgiveness. So I I flipped that into that. And I'm like, hey, guys, let's talk about forgiveness. Like, have you tried to reach out to the parents of, of the people that that were affected by this or, or the victims or this or that? I'm like, yeah. And some of them we started realizing is like, well, we can't really ask for forgiveness unless we forgive ourselves. Right. It's like, how can I ask you to forgive me if I haven't forgiven myself for that? So then we got into that. Hey, we got to forgive ourselves. We got to love ourselves. We got to do all this to ourselves. Then go seek it and go ask of it because then it'll actually land. Now, if they don't want to give it to you, it has nothing to do. We asked and we did the work for ourselves. So that's where then 
later, we paint this mural. So the way the mural came about is we were walking through the hallways and like, you know, it'd be cool if we could just paint a mural on the cell block. And I just threw it out there. Like what I told you, the TED talk or the Nike, like manifesting. I just threw it out there. And a couple of weeks later, my neighbor called like, yo, remember that thing you said? Yeah, you could do it. I'm like, what? So on a second visit, we went out there and I said, I got to paint forgive on the wall. That's what this is about. And it was forgive. And then the cast of shadow, this is forgiven because it's that forgiven, forgive back and forth. And then the G is really big because it's there's giving in it, right? The whole point right. of it is giving. So that's what was the birth of that mural was based on these deep conversations that I had with these guys. It's interesting because I had deeper combos with guys I had just met that are murderers and criminals that are in prison, but they're going this deep. And I have people that I've been friends with for 20 years that we can't get past the, yo, how's the weather in sports? Yeah. And the Lakers got swept. <laughs> well, how'd that make you feel? Like, I'm pissed off, man. I'm like, no, like really. No, you were you were closer to the prisoners than you were your neighbor. Yeah, (laughs) in that situation. But like you said, you touched on it, like kind of like that personal responsibility, right? You have to forgive yourself and love yourself before you can uh, ask for forgiveness or show forgiveness to anybody else, Mm -hmm. um, because it's just not going to be genuine. Personal responsibility is the last thing I want to talk about. How can people out there that are struggling to take personal responsibility? Take the right steps to kind of start living a life where they are more responsible themselves and their life and what they put into the universe. You know, this is tough because I struggle with this with a lot of different people, you know, people that have just live in victim mentality or like I had this guy that used to do creative work and editing and like there's zero accountability. Mm. I'm just like, what's in the gap that like, there's no accountability on you. You put it on everybody else. And like, how far is that going to get you in life? Have an accountability buddy. And just yeah. like, yo, I can't hold myself to going to the gym every morning. Will you please hold me accountable to this? And then create some pain, like real pain. Every time you don't do it, give them 20 bucks. Like something that hurts. Right. You know, and you got to keep your word on that. Make it a hundred bucks, make it extreme, whatever it is. And that I think will start helping and just start baby steps, right? You can't all of a sudden like take it all on, like don't go from one extreme to the other. That's why I say people when you're going to quit your life to go start your side hustle, like is your side hustle actually something that you can make something like go test if you can make something ease into it, then go don't jump off the cliff because then you're running back saying it failed. And then, you know, you said you tried, but you didn't really try because you set yourself up to lose. So it's like New Year's resolutions. I'm going to lose 50 pounds this year. Yeah. And then you don't lose a thing. And then you try to set up that goal again. Maybe take inventory. How much did you lose? Did you actually lose anything? Well, I lost 10 pounds. Cool. So, hey, I didn't, I didn't hit my goal of 50. I lost 10. Let me acknowledge that as a win. Where can I evolve? Where can I grow? What can I ask? And I think it comes down to that. Like you said before, everybody's different. You know, everyone's different. Everyone's going to have certain situations. We all have friends who never made a mistake in their lives. It's always somebody else's fault. And it's something that, you know, I, I've struggled with myself at points in my life, you know, not taking personal responsibility for why things are happening in my life. Like we said, it's just baby steps and being able to get through those things the best way that we can. Before I let you out of here, just wanted to say, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show. The last question I ask on the show, I ask every guest that I have on, are you happy today? I'm my own happiness dealer, right? So it's up to me. Yeah. Am I unhappy in one thing or am I unhappy in 
my performance at the gym this morning? Am I unhappy with how present I am at work? Like I, I would think, yes, I'm happy and I'm grateful for everything, but there's days where I'm not happy and for whatever reason that is. And that's also something within our, our control. Ruben, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can everybody find your work? Where can they find you? Where can they find the pod? When's the book coming? Give us all the deets. Mostly just Google my name, Ruben, R-U-B-E-N, not the sandwich, Rojas.com. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, RubenRojas.com, at Ruben Rojas on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I think there's an underscore at the end. Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it. It's it's all out there. The podcast is called Live Through Love, but my name should also help pop it up as well. It's on YouTube and all the platforms. Absolutely. And again, best of luck with everything that you got going on, man. Uh, happy that you're somebody that's so vocal about just uh, spreading love and being that vocal about it and being able to express yourself in many different ways. I think uh, a lot of people will get the message of this. And uh, sometimes it's just as simple as seeing the word love that can make us change the way we feel about ourselves and the way we feel about our day. If you ever need anything from us, we're here for you too. And uh, yeah, that's it, guys. Listen, go follow the show at one OTC. Make sure to check out rubenrojas.com. Everything that you need is right there. Uh, live through love the podcast. Go check it out. And we will see you next week. Peace. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!